Rabbi Alex Israel recently shared a Facebook post celebrating the completion of the cycle of the Mishnah. He writes, I know that people find it difficult to do some daily learning. I love Mishnah. It is short in bite-sized chunks. Even a small section has a coherence and can be understood independently, unlike a Talmudic passage. Due to its brevity, one has to have a good excuse not to have time to study two Mishnayot a day. Today, so many people are looking for a daily learning option that's not only doable, but meaningful. Mishnah Yomit is a really great choice. With the Mishnah Project, you can learn on our website, mishnah.co, on YouTube, or join hundreds of learners on the WhatsApp group or Telegram channel and receive the Mishnayot on your phone every day. And it costs nothing to join. Join the Mishnah Project at mishnah.co. That's M-I-S-H-N-A-H dot C-O. And make Mishnah study a meaningful part of your day. Everybody. Welcome to another edition of RZ Weekly, your weekly podcast about religious Zionism, modern orthodoxy, and everything in between. My name is Ruben Spolder. I'm here with Harab Johnny Solomon. Hello, Harab Johnny. Hello, good evening, good morning, wherever you oh are. Oh my God, those dulcet tones are like, they're just calming me down, even Why as not? I speak. You know, it's, it's like uh, we're recording on Thursday night. It's been a long week. Let's just kind of uh, Take it down. get into the Shabbos mood with those. Yeah. Oh, it's like, great. Okay, get in the Shabbos mood. Uh, Harab Johnny. Do you think that people hire you as a virtual rabbi just to listen to your voice? Have you ever thought about that? No. It's worth I, it. I'm, I'm there to listen to people, not just to kind of give lectures to people. <laughs> so but still. Rav Johnny's a virtual rabbi. He's an educator. He's an editor. He's a writer. Uh, did I miss anything? No, that will do. Right. Oh, and a postache for his show. Okay, so welcome. How are you doing? Thank you for, thank you for making the time in your busy schedule. And we're here with the Rabbi Mali Brovsky. Rabbi how are you? Baruch Hashem. Okay, she's also a social worker and an educator. Social worker this year, right? Well, no, I'm always a social worker. And okay. I have a private practice, which right. I've always had. But this year, I'm taking on an additional role in that capacity as a field advisor for Wurzweiler master's degree in Israel. Okay. Um, I'm Ruben Spolter. I, I do educational administration. I help people prove they're Jewish so they can get married in Israel through Tzohar. I run an online learning program called Kita. And, and other stuff. Um, today, we're going to focus on a very, very fascinating issue to me, and I hope to you as well, that came up in the news, specifically brought up by the, by the mayor of Tel Aviv, Ron Chudai. Chudai sort of, um, uh, he knew he was getting into an explosive issue when he suggested to, in, 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 a, in an interview, he suggested that when they opened the metro in Tel, in Tel Aviv, which is almost ready, the metro is a one line of the subway that's almost ready in Tel Aviv. It's cost literally billions of shekel and took tens of years to complete. He suggested that he felt very strong there that with that investment and the population of Tel Aviv, it should remain open on Shabbat. It should run on Shabbat. After all, the whole thing's underground anyway. 
And the whole thing is electric anyway. And it doesn't need to stop in religious areas anyway. And we could even have a non-Jew running it anyway. So, and, and so obviously he couldn't, he, he said, why not keep it open on Shabbat? And what's most interesting is the way he sort of couched his argument. He didn't get into an issue of religion and state. He didn't say, well, the secular people want it and we don't care about what you religious people. What he specifically said was, he said, listen, I know there's such a thing called the Shabbat elevator. So an elevator is basically a way of public transportation in a building going from one floor to another. And religious people are very comfortable having a Shabbat elevator. It's on a, on a, on a Shabbat mode, essentially. That's exactly what he said. He said, I see no reason why we shouldn't be able to find a way to have this metro run on Shabbat mode. And the people who are comfortable using it can use it. The people who are not don't have to use it. And, and that way, the state of Israel will be observing Shabbat Tel Aviv will get its metro, Vishaloma Yisrael. I'm basically paraphrasing what he said, but that's how he said it. So first of all, Johnny, set this table for us. Where, how in your mind do you see this issue? I mean, obviously it's, a, it's going to be a very explosive issue. I'm on an internal Hebrew language rabbinic email group, and it, there were hundreds of responses back and forth about how to deal with it and how to respond. It, it, it was basically the opening salvo in what's going to be a very, very heated issue here in Israel. Johnny, set the table. How do you see this issue? Okay, so firstly, thank you for framing things that way. I also read that article in Yidiot, which emphasized how Huldai deliberately used religious language and a religious framing device for this whole issue, as if to try and avoid those explosive uh, um, criticisms or, or finger-pointing, and instead try and suggest that, in fact, this is halachically permitted and maybe even warranted. Um, whether it's his place to, to uh, employ halachic language to frame such a, a significant uh, introduction to you know, a major city in Israel, that's highly uh, questionable. And whether he uses the right analogy, I'm going to continue to argue that... Wait, you'd have to say you, to, you didn't start arguing yet. But Danny, before we get back, get to that... Set the table. What's what is the status of public transportation in Israel today, and and what is Kuldai trying to do? Why is this important? How how, do, how does it work now, to the best of your knowledge? Okay, to the best of my knowledge. So you know, Haifa has always been this interesting anomaly. We don't need to discuss that. And as we've mentioned uh, on a number of occasions in previous podcasts, there's a growing number of cities where private Shabbos buses are operating to enable people to get from A to B, uh, both in terms of those who rely on public transportation, don't have cars, and those who are just simply frustrated by the fact that they'd like to go from A to B without having to take their car. In terms of numbers, about a quarter of the citizens of Israel are about are against uh, public transportation on Shabbat, um, and about uh, a fifth um, are for public transportation without any limit, meaning wherever. And everybody else is somewhere in between. People saying, we, we don't mind it, but only in uh, less religious neighborhoods, or this way or that way, or a non-Jewish person running it. So there is a, a, a broad range of voices in between those uh, different extreme positions. Nevertheless, the numbers of those wanting and vocally expressing their want for public transportation is increasing. And as Tel Aviv is within about a year to be making this uh, train uh, available to its uh, in inhabitants, 
it, the question is an understandable one. A city where there is a significant number of less observant Jews, surely this seems to be the right solution. And the way Chuldai portrays this seems to be a very uh, understandable uh, way of moving forward. The problem, though, with his uh, presentation is it pays no heed to the reasons why we haven't adopted this model in Jewish communities in the past, meaning this isn't the first time where a Shabbat tram or train or bus has been uh, presented and discussed uh, by scholars, and sometimes the needs of theirs have been even greater than necessarily the needs of those in Tel Aviv in the coming years. And yet, in the most part, uh, for a variety of reasons from happy to outline, even where initially there's been consideration of perhaps doing so, it's been realized that this becomes, to use a phrase that we don't love, but nevertheless should employ, a slippery slope. To quote the Rambam in Hilchot Shabbat, where you start trying to find loopholes for various Shabbat laws, uh, uh, sorry, he says there, We've got to concern ourselves by about the... Um, lightening of Shabbat in the eyes of public who uh, there is still a, a significant population who are traditional and the uh, active use and availability of trains I think will diminish that. Furthermore, in a tshuva uh, written by the Matelevi, um, by, by, by Rav Horowitz, there he discussed a, tra a, tra a tram in his neck of the woods in, in uh, Germany and he says, don't forget it's not like people just get on a tram, in that case, or a train here, and that's it. People carry as well, or, 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 and people do a whole variety of other things. Meaning, what we could examine the, the train as if it's in its own vacuum, but it isn't. And that's naive. Uh, and that, that's what's wrong with Khuldai's presentation. W the difference between a Shabbat elevator and a train is a Shabbat elevator has downstairs or upstairs to go it, they operate almost exclusively in hotels um oh, apartment many apartment way, buildings numerous apartment that's buildings that's true no, uh, apartment buildings as well but meaning places where people live let's not forget if people are so keen on shabbat elevators why don't we make sure that every single building has a shabbat elevator which majority of the buildings in tel aviv don't i'd like actually Huldai to say that every building that exists in tel aviv that hey, elevator should let's be let's take it back friendly. a step for a second johnny you have, you know, 10,000 non-religious Jews, 100,000 non-religious, whatever, 500,000 non-religious Jews in Tel Aviv. And they say to you, if I had the metro, I'd get on the metro, operated by a non-Jew on, on Matkon Metro Shabbat. But if I don't have the metro, I'm going to get in my car and drive. And technically, driving a, comb car, a, you know, a combustible engine is an issue to Oraita. And running an electric train, I don't know what it is. We're not, nobody knows what that is. But uh, so maybe is, isn't, isn't 10,000 people driving, riding an electric chain halachically better than those 10,000 people all driving their cars to the beach on Shabbat? So I'll, I'll say two things. Number one is, unfortunately, there's been uh, insufficient investment of time, effort and focus of contemporary rabbis to explore issues of technology. Uh, electricity where you say nobody knows what that is actually that the sad fact is very few people have done really the work that they should have done 
and too often there is a fear of electricity. And as Rab Nachum Rabinovich said, this is something we really do need to grapple with. And he himself was somebody who saw electricity as a positive thing that we need to know how to harness rather than run away from. So there's a shitati issue that too many poskim have a negative reaction to electricity. I don't. I think we need to uh, look at things in a positive framework and understand how we can harness the tools at our disposal. However, I want to just frame the, your question as Ravad Yosef framed a question completely different. He was asked a question, Yabir Omer, which is better? It's ridiculous that even rabbis were talking about this then, even so now. You know, a, a girl wearing pants or a girl wearing a mini skirt. And he said, I'm not going to answer that question <laughs> that way. I want to say, which Wait, one is That's worse? an entirely separate uh, podcast, but okay. Right? Correct. No, but the, 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 his first line is, is significant. Because you're saying, which one is better? I want to say, neither. I don't think which one is better. I can tell you which one is worse. But that doesn't necessarily mean that public policy should always give permission, should always enable should always give license to something which I think is uh, the least bad option of the bunch. Maybe we can think a little bit more creatively and constructively. Okay, I want to turn to Molly. Uh, you've been waiting so patiently. Molly, is it fair for a group of rabbis, the vast majority of whom don't live in Tel Aviv at all, to come along and say, no way, no metro, or a group of like the religious community, to come and impose its will on a large majority of secular Israelis who would be personally affected by our objection to the change of the status quo on Shabbat, is, is it fair of us to do that in, in this day and age? Yeah, okay, so, so I want to say a couple of things. First of all, I think it's fascinating that Ron Chulda'i, let's just take a second here and recognize where we are as a country and where we are sociologically. When Ron Chulda'i feels the need to justify running a metro on Shabbat by saying it's like a Shabbos elevator. This is the man, again, you know, I, I'm going to pull out my lived here since 1994 card. He is like known <laughs> as Mr. Secular Mayor of Tel Aviv. He is like the poster child for secularization. There were years when like he would have never said a thing like this. He would yeah, have been like, is. we're Chilonim and don't take over our country. And And it's fascinating that we now live in a time when he needs to kind of a, he wants to sidestep the fight, and B, he he thinks he will look better if he says, "Oh, I don't want to be Michal Shabbos. I would like it to be like a Shabbos elevator." Like the fact that he's using that language is just fascinating sociologically, and I think speaks to the fact that the country is definitely moving in a more traditional. Oh, world. right. I, I think you're absolutely right. It's not reflective of Chuldai. Chuldai is reflective no. of the people he represents. Big, right, and mm -hmm. the and where the country is, and I think that's super interesting. Okay, so now, as to your question, I would say the following. When I think about issues of, um, as they say in, in this country, status quo, right? Not breaking the status quo between how do we accommodate. Um, it's not the, the point is, it's not that just that you want to accommodate religious people. It's that there's a sense, even among people who are not religious or, or traditionally observant, which is why I think Johnny's statistic is so interesting, that we, that there's an interest in, in maintaining the religious character of the country, of the state. It's not just, oh, you know, it's technically a Tel Aviv issue because guys in B'nai Brock, so fine, we're in B'nai Brock, what's the big deal? The people who, who care about this issue, they're looking from a, more, from a larger perspective about what messages does Israel want to send about how it observes Shabbat, right? So there's the halacha question, and then there's the larger 
Um, well, the which Israel is the question. What which does, Israel and what is and who Israel? Decides, and can, right. <laughs> who decides, right? Who decides and can yeah. we... Right. So, That's so why, I, to me, these issues are so fascinating because they really go to the heart of like yeah, identity and what is the Jewish exactly. state. So, so when I come to the question, I, I much... I, I come to it from the orientation of... Um, there was this document put out. What was it called? The, the, the Gabizan the, the, um, the Amanat. 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 How do you translate Gabizan Medan. Amanat is a... Like how do you translate into English? Johnny, how do you translate? That's our word for the day. Amanat. Amanat. It's a, 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 yeah, remember, you've been in 94. Like it's a constitution, so but it's Covenant. Not, it's like a covenant or like... Nachon, like that's, that's how they, they discussed it. Or some kind of... Uh, Whatever it is. The point is they were trying to find a way to create a a... And again, compromise is a word where nobody's happy. So compromise isn't a great word, right? But but an agreement of understanding. An agreement and understanding yeah. that takes into account covenant. Yeah, it's a covenant. Covenant, covenant right. is on covenant. Right, right. But Molly, just go back and explain what happened, what it was. It's really okay, important. so what, so so Rav Meidan, Rav Yaakov Meidan, who clearly was representing um, Orthodoxy rabbinic leadership, and Ruth Gavison, who was representing a secular point of view. Um, however, she very much, I think, believe both of them are people who very much believe in um, building bridges within within Israeli society. They decided to come together and 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 really hammer out some type of a a document, an agreement that would. That would that would that would find a way to meet the to maximize meeting the needs of both of both um, I don't know how you want to say it both populations right in a way that would that would make that that would seem reasonable to both sides and that each side would get like the majority of what they wanted and and I want to go into the details of what they came up with but the general kind of orientation if I'm recalling correctly was keep we want to we want to we want to preserve the um, the spirit of Shabbat. So keep open, right? We want we want this to be a day of rest. So let's keep open things that are um, conducive to rest and to culture, museums and and um, um, I don't know cafes. You said restaurants, there. coffee houses, yes, things exactly, of that nature. Exactly, and and businesses should stay closed. Right, that that's like you know, that's not everything. It's said obviously in the in the cup in the amana. Let's just use that word. But the idea being that they weren't trying to solve it from a halachic perspective. They were trying to solve it from a sociological and and theoretical perspective, which I think is much more successful. And 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 that's it's really important to note, Molly, that Rav Meidan acknowledged that there would be public transportation. Right. To get to your museum or your coffee Correct. house that's, or that's your That's part beach. of where you give in. Like, okay, so there'll be... And again, Ramadan is not saying he thinks it's mutar to take public transportation. He's saying, I don't think this is halakhically permissible, obviously, but I'm not going to impose that on people who feel differently than me. But I will ask them to respect my sensibilities about the spirit of Shabbat. And therefore, if we come to this kind of a compromise, I'll get, you know, national character... Right. And they'll get the freedom to choose to live their lives, you know, not completely because you're still limiting them to some level. But 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 we're not going to do what, what, you know, this phrase, we're not going to do religious coercion. Now, I'll tell you why I don't like the Shabbos elevator idea. Right. Some people, when, you know, we, there was an article that you sent us where somebody wrote it was you can quote her as a woman. She wrote, I think this is great. This is like a win win for everybody. Her name is Chen Swar Artsy. She's a yeah. she's a journalist. In right. She's like, perfect. This is like the perfect solution. Like the Chilinim get to drive on there. You know, let's, let's, let's be honest. Chilinim want, want, want a metro and, and religious people therefore get a way out. And it's halakhically permissible. Like, where's the downside? 
And I will tell you that I, I think that it's a true, I think the Shabbos elevator analogy has tremendous downsides. I think it's a very bad path to go down, in my opinion. Why? Um, because I think Johnny said it nicely. These things don't happen in a vacuum. And if you, if you, what you do, if, if you make it into like a Shabbos elevator, I feel like that's not good for Chilonim and it's not good for Datiim. It's not good for, for secular people and it's not good for religious people. Why not? Because for secular people, you're basically just making a joke out of religion, right? You're just weakening religion to a bunch of tricks and you're basically letting them, yeah, whatever, Shabbos, Shabbos, like they're still doing the thing that they're doing and religion just looks silly and they don't have a deep understanding of the halachic complexities and and and, you're, and they're not differentiating between l'charchila and abidiyavet and it just looks i think it just looks it makes it makes religion look foolish i think also for religious people it's not good because i think that um as johnny said the whole question of how we those of us who are religious and observant and want to preserve the religious character of Shabbat, it's a very, very delicate question. And as you said, the whole question of how we're going to relate to technology and like people can't go to hotels anymore because there's just literally no, there are no keys to get into their, into their rooms and they can't walk in the hallways without lights going on and off, right? So like even just go back to the question of like, is electricity, why is electricity usser, right? And so like halachic people will tell you, well, there's no really good reason to make it usser. But we also all know that if we made, it, if we made electricity mutter, you're going to lose the spirit of Shabbos. Right. And so like, you understand what I'm saying? Like, what is it? Is so it let me, let me share, let me share. Wait, so let, let, me just finish, yeah, let me just finish. I want to get point. to your halakha lupo point. I have to remember it because we have to, we're okay. going to come back to it. Because I just want to finish this because I, I think it's really important. Um, and the reason it got brought home to me was because we happened to have been staying in a, uh, in a building for one Shabbat and there was a Shabbos elevator. And my kids just kind of casually, one of them was going to get into the Shabbos elevator. I'm like, what are you doing? And they're like, it's a Shabbos elevator. I was like, we don't just casually use a Shabbos elevator. A Shabbos elevator is there for the elderly or for people who have a stroller, right? There's a kula involved there. Not, and I think it's not, I'm not even just talking about halachically. I'm talking about spirit of Shabbat, right? Like, like I, I don't want my kids just cavalierly getting into a Shabbos elevator. Now, how would they know that? You don't, don't, thi- know you don't think about that when you turn on your Shabbat, your, your Shabbos clock. Right, okay. So that's what, what I'm that saying is, all. this is a really... Right. So where's that line? Right. Mm-hmm. Where's the line between the Shabbos clock or my Shabbos light? Right. That has a little. I love it. It like has a life changer. Shabbos light is the best thing ever bed. in the history of mankind. The history the of creation. Ever. You know, since sliced bread, that little thing where you t- slide the thing and all of a sudden you so can read great. in bed on Friday night. I will night not go anywhere. If I, I we went I away for Shabbat, I won't go without it. You. I take, take it with the you. Shabbos lamp. A hundred percent. Why does that not feel like it's violating Shabbat? And somehow the Metro... Um, does and and Shabbos elevators are iffy. These are really complex questions that have a lot to do with psychology and sociology, and 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 that's where halacha is really delicate, and 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 why I think halacha needs to evolve slowly and carefully. And when you when when you push things through too quickly, unintended consequences happen. And I'm I, that's why I don't I don't love this whole Shabbos elevator thing. Like Shabbos elevator reminds me of what last we talked about Shemitah. We talked about Lichtenstein's thing with the tragedy of Shemitah. The same thing, right? Like so we got these loopholes and, you know, we ended up with like losing the whole spirit of Shemitah. And I don't want that to happen to Shabbat. Sometimes it's unavoidable. Like there, we, there are things we have to do to be a functioning state. So we, we have to find, sometimes find these loopholes. But I think that. The Shabbos elevator path is not a great path to go down for the reasons that I that I said. I would much rather go with like, let's be honest. 
Um, we're going to allow buses on Shabbat. We don't, we as Orthodox Jews don't think people are doing something mutar, but we also understand that not everybody in this country is Orthodox. Um, and we're going to try to work on the things that, that like, we're going to try to work on education and on raising awareness and on keeping the national character. And anyway, we're quote unquote winning the, winning the war in the sense of like people, if we stop forcing things down people's throats, people come to Judaism in a much more, um, they just it, it, I, I like to believe that the power of 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 religion and spirituality if it's presented in a honest full-throated uncom- uncompromising way is actually much more authentic and much more attractive than when you water it down to meet the needs of the other i have to have responses so i'm going to forget to ask you this because there are now two things we want to talk about and i want to turn to johnny in a second we'll come right back after this short break stay with us Shalom, this is Rav Johnny Solomon, and I would like to tell you about the services that I provide to men and women around the world. Firstly, if you have a she'ilah, a halachic query or a halachic topic you would like to learn more about as it applies to your life, and you feel that you don't have a Rav with whom you can discuss this question, I offer online halachic consultations. Secondly, if you have some theological or spiritual query, or if you're in need of some chizuk, I provide spiritual coaching. And lastly, if you'd like to learn about a particular Torah topic, I offer one-to-one learning. For each of these services, you can book an appointment for a small fee at my website, rabbijohnnysolomon.com, which seamlessly, with the magic of Calendly, then appears in my online calendar. And within a few minutes, you'll receive a message with a Zoom link. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking with you. And we're back. Johnny, Molly mentioned a number of times the idea of halachic loopholes and Shabbat elevators. Molly lives a, a, a stone's throw from the home base of Machon Tzomet, whose entire existence is there to create halachic loopholes. And I'm quoting Molly. She just said, sometimes they're unavoidable. You have to run a modern state. I'm not sure that's 100% true. You have to run a modern state. But when you run a modern state, you could say, in order to run the state, we have to be Michalel Shabbat under said circumstances, and therefore we're not going to create a lachet loopholes, and we're going to be Michalel Shabbat. Like I had this discussion with my son. If the Torah says a person who is sick has to take a car and travel to the hospital, get in the car and drive to the hospital. And that's not Chilul Shabbat. That's Kiyum Shabbat. That's Kiyum Pikuach Nefesh. It's not Chilul Shabbat. But when you create when you create halachic loopholes, if I can create a Shabbat car and a Shabbat pen and a Shabbat phone and a Shabbat elevator. Ultimately, the way Mali, you said it, the way people will perceive as halacha, of halacha as a joke. And I think Chuldai, by mentioning Shabbat elevators, was basically saying, hey, you religious people, you find loopholes when you want to. You understand that if you really want to have an elevator, you figure out a way. I really want my metro, so why can't you figure out a way for me? Johnny? Do you think the idea of machon Soma, this is something that I really wanted to come to, is a good thing? Or are we now paying the price for creating our own loopholes of having our Shabbat elevator and our Shabbat lamp and our Shabbat robots and my Shabbat car, my Tesla car is going to know how to drive me to shul. All I got to do is say, hey, Tesla, drive me, hey, Siri, drive me to shul. Or, um, or that's what you, what can you do? Ron Chulday is wrong and he doesn't really, he's not sensitive. 
I'm not. I'm not going to comment about Ron Chulday's perception of halacha and uh, the role of loopholes, if we're going to use that term. I don't think that's uh, quite worthy of our attention. You're raising an interesting question about Tzomet, um, and I want to go back to the point I raised, which is Mahon Tzomet is doing their thing. I, I wish them the greatest success, and they make people's lives easy. I have nothing more than uh, praise and admiration for the work they do, and that without any uh, caveat or, uh, or condition. Nevertheless, what I do believe, and I alluded to it with my reference Let me, to, I'm uh, sorry to interrupt you just for a second, because I might have come across as a little too strong. I actually totally agree with you. I mean, my, right. my, mom can't, my mom can't go up and down the steps, and she got a somet, you know, she got a somet switch on her stair lift, and now she can leave her house on Shabbat. But, but you know ultimately, so, somet are trying to find very specific problem, solutions to very specific problems. Here we're talking about something completely different, Okay. Um, and though, yes, they work with uh, industries, and, and, and I, I acknowledge that and, uh, and respect that, the wider question of our gishao, our relationship with electricity, I don't think, as I say, has been fully ironed out. I think the person who was closest to come up with a, a, a nuanced um, halachic model that really is cognizant of the needs of the time and has a positive uh, approach to such things was with Nachum Rabinovich, and, uh, and there are a few who've taken up, up that gauntlet uh, to take things further, not to be deliberately revolutionary, but to actually look at the world and say, you know, electricity is a good thing, it warms our house, it gives us food, we need it, but how, so how do we do it, not just in the problem areas, but instead in the necessary? And to be That's honest with you, one. if we're honest with ourselves, we use it every Shabbat, we, we rely on some kind of kula that, oh, they need it for hospitals or whatever, but n nobody ever takes any precautions not to use it. It's part of modern life. It's just part of modern life. We sort Correct. of ignore uh, the fact that we, we, we rely on, chil on massive chilul Shabbat in order to run our lives and pretend that that doesn't happen. Right. I, I just think, I think the conversations which did have in the early years of the state, we've kind of like just put them to the side and said, let's just not get involved with them. We've got distracted by other conversations. <laughs> when issues have arisen, we've relied on Sorit to solve them, but actually we need to be a little bit more proactive with this issue. That's point number one. Point number two is, truth be told, I often find I get frustrated with some religious Zionist voices. They're very good at responding to people like Ron but you know what? They, they should have come up with uh, a, uh, a proposition two years ago, rather than waiting to hear what he has to say and then tell us how wrong he is. And we are often a little bit too late in terms of uh, coming up with useful, coherent, uh, ideologically sound and, and practical uh, solutions which are sensitive to the wider population. That's point number two. Just two more things. Uh, thing number three is um, there's an interesting set of chuvot by Rav Uziel, who gave permission, by the way, to a Shabbat tram in Bombay. Uh, and he gave a whole bunch of reasons why it would be halakhically Wait, he gave permission to, he didn't get permission to run it. He gave permission for people to get on it. To get on it, correct. It had to, couldn't go through Jewish neighborhoods, uh, uh, couldn't go through most of Jewish neighborhoods. The people of Bombay cared what the Jews cared about in the Jewish neighborhoods? I'm, I'm curious. I don't know. Yeah, yeah uh, they did. It uh, happens to be my grandfather's from there. But yes, they did. Don't forget these highly traditional Jews. But what's interesting is he then wrote a second shuva. Uh, a few years later, where he basically said, no, no, I didn't really mean that it's okay to do this. And my tshuva was really um, to, to say, I'm not going to object to those who are using it, but 
uh, nobody was listening to me in any which way. Meaning, the prop when you start creating a, a, a colors which can be taken to the nth degree, when they are taken to the nth degree, you uh, you naturally get agitated, which is basically what uh, Rav Uziel did. And he said, no, 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 I just wrote, That's how he ends that part of his second tshuva. And so we have to be very cautious in terms of the guidance we give about how, not just how it's understood now, but how it'll be f used in the future. And, and the last thing I'd like to add relates to this whole question of, you know, what is better, what is safer. Um, I, I, one of the shirim I've given some years ago, there, there was a fairly uh, striking and, and strange uh, uh, essay by Rabbi uh, Nathan Lopez Cardozo, who argued that actually it should be a mitzvah uh, for people to be building the train tracks on Shabbat, because surely they're going to be preventing in the future crashes because more people are going to be on trains which are safer than cars uh, i strongly disagree with his thesis around about the same time though that that book came out volume seven of Yechavedat was published of some earlier chuvot of ravavad yosef that were less well known and in there there's a very interesting chuvat as are you allowed to fix a traffic light on shabbat right imagine traffic mm. light gets broken according is the state of this allowed to fix it? and he says yeah you're allowed to fix it because not doing so is that because you know, nefesh, it's a nefesh issue. right so uh, contrasting those two uh, uh, um, positions i think is interesting there are those who are pushing and saying since people need it and since uh, there's a want for this and since compared to the other option this is better we should do this i say i don't think that's quite correct based on what we said based on the Chubab of Uziel, based on this whole wider approach I mentioned of the Rambam, that Shabbat should be not be light in our eyes. What I do so say is, we do need to have a clear approach which prevents danger, which enables people who need to move from one place to another um, to do so, but not in terms of leisure, instead in terms of emergency, and that's how much the country already operates. So. Overall, I, I, I dispute the whole um, attitude of Ron Khuldai. I think it's, I say it's manipulative, and, I, and people who listen to, me, to this know that I rarely use that word. It just yeah, I'm, now that I think about it, Johnny, for you to say that somebody's manipulative, it's like, whoa. I didn't, uh, no, I, say, <laughs> I didn't say him, but I think the manner of using I'm you know, <laughs> nevertheless, there's something very I improper about starting to start, uh, try and claim that this fits into a certain particular halachic model. Uh, and, and this wider question of the implications of vacuum, etc. Nevertheless, uh, why go back to my key point, which is we as a religious community, as a religious Zionist community, should have been doing and need to be doing more in terms of thinking proactively, in terms of being uh, visionary our perspective, in terms of looking at electricity positively and saying, I don't think this is the right solution, but I do know we need to come up with better solutions. Uh, I acknowledge that absolutely. Um, Since Rabbi Dan tried to do it, Rabbi Dan really tried to do it. He tried to I be understand, and thinking. that's the point. That's the point. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'll say one final thing. And got, and got destroyed for it, literally, torn apart oh, by... Uh, so why? Why? And, uh, you know, it was just recently the outside of Rabbi Sachs. What, what was Rav Medan and, and Ruth Garskont's um, uh, whole model? What they were basically doing was something outside the framework of politics. You know, Rabbi Sachs was always very, very clear that religion and politics shouldn't mix, right? What they were trying to come up with is a covenant, um, it, it, you know, the whole claim that we're hearing here from Khuldai is about rights. We have the right to and whatever. And what they were pushing for is, you're right, people have rights, but people also have responsibilities. And as long as 
think things like these are discussed just in the halls of the Knesset. As long as these are just purely political things, it's all about people getting what they want. What was important about those conversations between the two of them was that they tried to pivot the whole issue and said, let's try and talk about rights and responsibilities together as a population. And that idea of covenant, that idea of influence rather than power, the idea of agreeing upon things rather than every government trying to nitpick and pick holes with each other's uh, uh, way of being, it, it would have been a better solution. However, it's not really been realized, and that's tragic, and we need to be pushing more for that. So if I could just conclude, one is, yeah, we need, more, we need a covenant. We need to continue in that direction of conversation and discourse. Uh, whatever the compromises may well be, that's fine. But in that conversation, we'd know it's a compromise. We wouldn't be kidding each other. And secondly, we as a halachic community need to be being more proactive about talking about these issues which are going to continue to come upon us as the years come by. Molly, I want to turn back to you and I want to ask you a question by way of a, uh, telling a story. It's a little bit of a longer question. And I want to refer to something that you said. You, I think you were alluding to Chuldai when you said we're winning the war. The very fact that Chuldai had to couch the discussion in terms of Shemirat Shabbat meant that and ultimately the state is moving in a more traditional direction. And I want to I, I wanna, I wanna, uh, question that statement by, by sort of telling a story. I got a call today, as I mentioned before, I help people, I help people um, prove their Jewish status. And I got a call today from an honest person. I don't know, we got my number. And was told that I'm the person to help him with his, uh, with his, with his problem. His son moved to, um, moved to America and met a woman whose father is Jewish, Jewish woman, but whose mother is not halachically Jewish, and now they have a child. And he needed help and advice about how to navigate the situation. And he said to me, listen, Rabbi, I'm not Shomer Mitzvot, but I've, I've been donating money to Tzohar for, for many, many years. Because I, I believe that, and I, I'm that personally observant, but I remember my mother and my grandmother, and I believe that we should keep the traditions. But what was fascinating to me was, like, he didn't see the fact that his son married someone who's not halachically Jewish as an issue at all. He really, and he's, he didn't see the fact that he's not personally observant an issue at all. And I think that in some ways, yes, the, the state is becoming more traditional and more, the word, the, 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 the Big word nowadays is misorati, more connected to tradition, mm. but it in no way or, or, or shape or form, I think, is interested in orthodoxy as we think of it, or shmirat halacha. And he actually said it to me right out. He's like, listen, I'm Jewish and you're Jewish. Why does my daughter-in-law now have to become shomim, you know, keep the halacha? If she wants to be Jewish, she just wants to be Jewish like me. She doesn't want to be any more Jewish than that. And I, I think that, I think that, you know, if you, like you said, we're winning the war, it's really interesting. I'll, I'm sort of responding. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm sort of asking a question. We, uh, my son serves in the Air Force, um, and, uh, and he, he uh, it was Sukkot, and we invited two of his co-soldiers uh, to come join us on a Friday night. And they came to Yad Vinyamin. They drove before Shabbat, and they parked outside the gate, and my son went to go pick them up. They were, they were just blown away. They couldn't imagine. They'd never been to Yad Vinyamin or any place that was Shomer Shabbat on, like, the, like that, that was closed. They, they were blown away by it. They loved it. They really loved it. They said they had a great time, but they had never seen it before. Meaning, we live in our silos, the vast majority of us, and the people that are outside those silos, yes, the buses don't run, but we all know that 
malls are open, stores are against the law, as it were, you know, totally against the law. Stores are open against the law, quote unquote, against the law. I'm not sure we're winning the war. We might be winning a cultural battle, but while we're winning this cultural battle, are we really winning the war? When we're trying to impose orthodoxy on a, on a community that's not looking for what we're offering, but looking for something totally different. That's so the question is, what's <laughs> the word and are we winning? Is that yes, the question? That's the question. OK, so I, I think I'll tell you what I think. I think culture comes first. I think I think that 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 when we look at the big picture. My sense is that better we should have like like if the options were as they were in the past, Chilonim who found religion to be oppressive and, um, how do you say, kfia? Um, uh, coercive. Coercive, coercive. Yeah. exactly. Yes. And, and narrow and small and, and detail-obsessed. Um, and, and instead, we have people who say, oh, there's so much beauty in Judaism, and um, I'd like to be, as you said, Masorati and traditional. Of course, I'm. I'm not. I'm not going to stop. Uh, you know, um, driving to my mother's house and my mother's house exactly. Right. Um, and by the way, I want to add that I think that the religious community is paying a price for this. This is something I realized. I, am, I, I might have even discussed it at some point on this podcast. That like this whole Al Haretzef, which means the spectrum, are our kids. Right, or the, the 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 religiosity of our kids might actually be, be being affected by this. Religious kids from religious families are now finding more space to be less halakhically observant because they can still be culturally and nationally Jewish, and that's actually a price that we're pay, we're paying as a religious community. And I don't think we should close our eyes to it. And I think it's a real issue. So I hear what you're saying, and I hear the complexity of a complexity of a complexity of it. I just I don't think that there's a better way to do this. I think the best way to do this, as I said before, is to maintain both things at once. I think that we need, those of us who believe in orthodoxy and believe in halacha as a, as a rigorous system that we want to be governed by and we would like to subject ourselves to, and I'm using those words literally, I think that that's part of being part of the halachic system is like to be willing to say, I am a subject to the system, I think we have to have the integrity and, and, and not have the fear to say that, that that's what we believe, and we have to model that and say that's who we are. And that's how we believe halacha should be um, observed. And at the same time, hold the tension that if you don't believe that, then I'm comfortable saying to you, can we find the places where we do agree and highlight those? And I'm not going to say that because I believe that I should live my life according to halacha and that I also believe that in some ideal realm everybody should make that choice I still can't make that choice for you so I'm going to be better off saying I'm going to do this for myself I'm going to raise my children this way I'm going to try to impart my values to them but when it comes to the larger society I'd rather find I'd rather educate and and um, find find the things that are that that, that, are, that are common to us and find common grounds I, I think that's healthier for like our state of of unity and 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 like our national 
sense of cohesion and and and, and um, identity. And I also think I really do believe that ultimately it does move people closer rather than farther away. Yeah, I want to respond to that. It's interesting. Rab, uh, after after Chudai appeared, I shared with you guys uh, Rab Pearl, the head of Summit. They asked him to respond, and he responded in the classic rabbinic fashion in Israel, which is to say the nature of Shabbat and the importance of Shabbat in the public sphere. And and um, he responded in a way that you're going to send it's, I think it's funny coming from me. I felt was very harsh, it was very like, we know better than you and you can't change the status quo. Sort of like falling into Chudai's trap in a way, I think, getting into a fight about religion and state. And, and I responded to him on Facebook. He publicized on Facebook. So I, sh- I said, I said, you have to learn to speak a language that's softer, like, like your language. Um, like, it doesn't mean you have to change your mind. I don't think we should, as a religious community, be in favor of opening the metro. I think we should be against it. But it should be about the discussion of what does it mean? What does Shabbat mean? Rather than how dare you change the status quo? And this is something we agreed on. And how can you do this? And you don't understand. I, I think the nature of the conversation is really, really important. And I think we as a community and our rabbinic leadership especially has to learn to speak more softly and more engagingly and more attractively and to not, not compromise our values, but, it, but to com- communicate it in a way where you're appealing to people. And I think it's what Chodai was doing. He's brilliant. I think as a politician, he's brilliant. He, he basically put the rabbis on their heels. Like he said to Rabbi Pearl, your Shabbos elevator is okay. And Rabbi Pearl was like, I'm the rabbi, not you. You know what I'm saying? Don't tell me what I allow and what I don't allow. And, and, and to the average Tel Aviv person, it's like, yeah, but you're not my rabbi. I didn't choose you as my rabbi. Why should I listen to you? Whereas what he should have, he could have said is to say, what do people of Tel Aviv really want? What do the people of Israel really want? How can we find a way to create a Shabbat atmosphere? Would the metro destroy it? How would the metro affect it? And he didn't say that. And I wish that our leaders would learn to speak their values in, in, a, in the 21st century and, and not compromise. I don't think they compromise at all, but learn how to articulate them in a way that's nishma, that's heard. I, I think that, yeah, Johnny. I, I agree entirely. I think this point, we, we've danced around it on a number of occasions, privately, offline, we've discussed it uh, quite a few times, um, but it is crucial. It is crucial to, unfortunately, the way things are, the kind of discourse in the institutions is harsh, is very boundaried, is insensitive, is blind to the needs of the average uh, person. Uh, And those who have softer language often um, don't always have the halachic sensitivities um, to which we're necessarily speaking. And soon enough, uh, if... The, the, what what uh, Pearl may not realize, and, and again, I'm not speaking about him specifically, is if he doesn't learn that language, there are other rabbis who have that language, but their solutions are certainly not necessarily reflective of the way I think many people would. They wouldn't make the halachic choices that he would make. Right, exactly. Right, uh, they uh, would but, compromise and, and too I, much on halacha, and and if if those are the options that are given. That, that I agree with you 100%. And we, and we recently discussed offline, and we may well come back to it, a book that was recently published, which I think is going towards that direction, huh. yeah. Yeah. Uh, which, mm-hmm. right, which, which very much concerns me. So um, this is something How do you teach crucial. rabbis that they're not in the Beit Midrash and to learn, like it's really a critical thing to train rabbis 100%. to speak a modern language, to really to... Well, you know, I, I, if you're, I, don't, I don't know if I actually mentioned you know, to that you That was, guys, by the uh, way, the God who mentioned Rav Sachs. 
That was his gadlut. To be able to communicate the values, not compromise his values halakhically and to represent it, but to say it in a sophisticated and understanding and, 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 and warm, you know, like so the person who's listening could say, I disagree with you totally, but I loved it. You yeah. know what I'm and saying? I admire you. I admire right. your integrity. And I also, there are values that you're sharing that I agree with. Yeah. 100%. Right. And just, I think, I think I mentioned to you, I don't know if it was online that I mentioned, uh, uh, probably now like last year or a year and a half ago, who knows, you know, Corona, you lose all sense of time. <laughs> I went to have a meeting with Racheli Frankel. I, I was, I was thinking about different things, uh, kind of ways in which I can make contributions beyond my community. Uh, and it led us to a very interesting question, obviously about language, both as an ole, but also in terms of the reach, the kind of population I want uh, to be talking with. And, and she says when she was called upon to speak in Kikarabin, um, and, and she was kind of going to speak a little bit like a rabbinit, like as a teacher, and she consulted a mentor of hers uh, who said, speak Safa Israelit. People just want to hear you talk the way they talk, right? Same words, so, so same ideas. But change your language and you'll reach parts of them that if you don't, you will find that there is a boundary between you and them. And she said, I did. And it really completely transformed the reception of the ideas I was sharing. And, and I think in every dimension of that word is something we need to be pushing more and more. And in the diaspora, you know, broader ways of, of sharing ideas, both in terms of platform, but also in language. So I have to quote, I think it's Radhali Frankel. I heard this in her name and I think she said it. And I think she said it at like, and one of the Yemezi Karon for when, when the boys were, were, after the boys were killed. And I was thinking about this this morning and it just struck me in Shacharit. Th this dichotomy between, you know, um, the, the attacking language, the sharp language and the soft language, we articulated in Shacharit every morning, the two ways of representing God. The first one is, okay, they give each other permission with love. Like, just think of the language. Like, think about that, the tone that's being conveyed. They don't say kadosh, kadosh. They say kadosh, kadosh. And then, but the other side. Like it's, it's a rash gadol. They're yelling back. Well, I, I, and I was thinking about this. I, I, would, I, 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 like, I'm, I, I like, I'm in Shacharit. Sometimes when I think about it, I'm moved by this. Safa Brura Uni'ima. Clear. I think it's beautiful. And, you know, as like, it's so in terms, powerful. But in terms of our conversation, you know, don't forget there's a din in Shochanoch that says on Erev Shabbos, uh, parents of a home, specifically first to a man, but it would part, uh, refer to both. They shouldn't speak in harsh language that makes people agitated and afraid. Instead, even though they're reminders to do Erev Shabbos, it should be done with a, you know, with a delicate tones. It's funny, I start with delicate tones. You did, tones. you did. Delicate <laughs> tones, full circle. Right? <laughs> and, and I think here that's a point. If that's the din in the private home, that when Erev Shabbos in my house, like it's also a balagan, right? And the halacha says, okay, remind people, but remind people in the right tone. So he would talk about Shabbat in the public space. So talk to people in the right way. And I think that this is a massive gap, if not failing, within the religious Zionist community. And, and it's something we should say to ourselves. You know, you can't blame people for not hearing what you haven't said. 
And that's what we need to learn to say. Molly, wrap us up. Yeah, I just want to add one thing, which is so fascinating to me. You know who does this really well? It's interesting because Johnny said Racheli Frankel. The other person who does this really well is Sivan Rav Meir, right? Yeah. Who's Haredi. Mm. She's not just like religious. She's yeshivish. Um, but I'm she... Just, just like religious. <laughs> she's, not, you know, she's not... You know what I mean? She's not Dati Lumi. She wouldn't identify, I don't think, as Dati Lumi. She identifies as... Um, I think she's, she's, on, you know? she's on the spectrum. She's on the spectrum towards the right. But but she know, she has that ability to speak um, and by the way, I, I stumbled on Facebook across some like very, very like Chiloni... But not, not, I don't mean Chiloni, like anti-religious site. They can't stand her. She drives them crazy because of this, because they know that she's the real threat. Um, and that and that this language and that this approach is, is really going to, that's, I, I agree with both of you, that that's, if, if more people would adopt that tone, I think we would all do better. But I think it's quite interesting that it's two women who. Yeah, I was just about um, to say that. Who, who figured this no, out. Rabbi Sachs did it. Rabbi Sachs did it, but he was no, in the The only reason I'm saying it, I'm not saying woohoo women. I'm saying because you mentioned the Safav, the Beit Midrash, right? And I think that... Uh, that yeah, Rabbi Sachs, interesting, grew up first in the university. First right. in the, you know what I'm saying? In right, people have to come out of the Beit Midrash, right? It's like yeah. uh, that, that whole sense of, you know, Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai. And Melchamta like, shel Torah, you know exactly, what I'm saying? Exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. And like, do you only speak halachic language or do you, I mean, also, Rav Cook was the same. Rav Cook also was like, you know, his whole point in, in founding Merkaz Arab was like, part of this is about learning how to speak rhetoric so we learn how to speak to the people so we can be the center of, of, of that. When he started, when he founded Merkaz, that's, that was literally one of his, it was not meant to be, meant to be called Merkaz Arab. It was meant to be called Yeshivat mm-hmm. HaMerkaz, the center, yeah. right? Because yeah. he wanted, they just called it Merkaz Arab because it was his, but he never planned on calling it that because he wanted it to be the center of, of, of religion. And he had the same idea. Teach people how to speak modern Hebrew, teach them how to speak B'ni Imut. So it's not about women, but I do think it's about a culture um, and knowing how to, how to move out of one culture into another. Okay, I think we'll stop here. I want to thank you for this wonderful conversation. Really interesting to me. Very much appreciate it. We were going to have mailbag, but we're out of time, so we'll do it another time. Uh, we thank all our, all our people who communicated to us. We really appreciate your input. We take it very seriously. We share all of the messages with each other. And uh, if we haven't gotten back to you individually, we will soon. I want to thank uh, Rabbi Manit Malibrovsky, Rabbi Johnny Solomon, my son Petachia for writing our music. I want to thank all our listeners. We really appreciate it. We appreciate your feedback. Uh, and we would appreciate even more if you'd share the love, the RZ love with all your friends and family as well. Have a great week, everybody. Bye.